Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of VU Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Man, I, I'm, I'm so pumped that you're with us today. I'm so grateful that you're tuning in. And like Dakota and those guys were telling you from the culture room, I just think it's important right now. Man, let some people know it's never been easier to invite someone to church. You just shoot a text right now. You just, you just share, you copy the link and you share it to someone right now and someone's gonna get this word. I believe this is gonna encourage somebody today. I, I wanna read 15 verses if I can today. Actually, I don't know if I'm gonna read all 15. Let me see. I actually wanna read, uh, I'm gonna go 2 Chronicles chapter 15. I'm gonna read through 23. So what is that, eight verses? I'm gonna go eight verses. Can you handle eight verses? I wanna lay a, a, a bit of a foundation. I wanna use an Old Testament story today as a premise. And I wanna teach a little bit and I'm gonna come back to this story, but uh, I'm gonna be all around God's word. But this is really our foundational text. If you've never heard this story before, get ready. This is an encouraging one. And it says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. It says, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Get ready. This is God's word coming to the people of Israel. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. I love this. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Someone out loud right now, just say, the battle is the Lord's. Come on, someone say it again. Say, the battle is the Lord's. Put, put that in the chat right now. The battle is not yours, it's God, God's gonna fight this battle. Verse 16, tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the Pez of Siz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. You ever notice how many times God tells the people of Judah, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. How many of you know where faith exists, fear cannot stay? <laughs> Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men, here it is, to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, as they began to sing and praise, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon 
and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. I want you to see what takes place here. These men simply start singing. These men simply start praising. And when they do these armies, these opponents, these enemies, they turn on each other and they defeat one another while the people of God just simply stood back and kept singing praise to God. Oh, I got a message today and I wanna talk practically, but I wanna stir up your faith. And we are in, I think, part six now of our collection of talks day by day. And I wanna preach you from the subject, the reason why we sing. The reason why we sing today as we continue in our collection, I wanna talk to you about the spiritual practice of worship. (laughs) Now, it is important today, if you're taking notes, that you understand that worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not something that you do, it's something that you are. You were created to worship God. And whether you wanna believe it or not, we're all worshiping something. The question is, where's your attention? Where's your affection? Where is your awe going? you were created to worship God. Worship is a lifestyle. However, today, I don't want to use such a broad definition of worship. Instead, today, I want to lean in specifically, and I want to talk to you about this idea that as the people of God, that we lift our voice, we sing songs, we attach music, and we do it all for the glory of God. No doubt every aspect of my life should bring glory to God, but I want to narrow in on a practice, the practice of worship, the practice of singing praise, the practice of worshiping Jesus with melody and harmony. Uh, Wayne Grudem, uh, the great theologian, this is what he said. He said, worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and our hearts. So today, when I use the word worship, understand that I know that worship is a lifestyle, but I want to give you a spiritual practice, the practice of singing, the practice of worshiping God. Worship is not a new thing. Worship is not a modern thing. Worship is not a thing that we do in church so that you can have an emotional response and you can have some goosebumps and say, now I feel God. No, no, worship has been the practice of the church since the very beginning. We are a singing faith. You can go all the way back to the beginning and what you will discover is that men and women have been singing to give God glory. It's part of our heritage. It's it's one of our practices. Look at what Paul says to the church in Colossae. I love this. Paul says this, chapter three, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, here's that broad, big definition. And whatever you do, someone say, whatever you do. Whatever you do, whether you work at a coffee shop, uh, whether you are a secretary at some office building, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a police officer, whether you're in politics, whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So Paul gives the specific practice of singing praise and worship, but then Paul also makes it very clear that whatever I do, that should be an act of worship. But Paul is definitely specifically commanding you and I all the way back 2,000 years ago to the church in Colossae saying, listen to me, you're to sing, you're to open up your mouth. You are to praise God with the Psalms. Uh, you are to magnify God with melodies. You're to honor God with harmonies. You are called to worship. You're called to worship him. You're called to lift your voice and and to sing praises and to bless his name. In fact, it's amazing when you start studying church history, when you start studying really the people of God, do you understand that all the way from the very, very beginning that God, he called the assembly of saints into being the church, the ecclesia with the sole purpose to worship. In fact, let me just try to give you a little bit of a history lesson. You gotta go all the way back to the Hebrew people. They had been enslaved under Egypt for 400 years. And one day God calls upon this man who has a stuttering problem named Moses and says, Moses, go and set my people free. And what does Moses do? He comes with a report to Pharaoh and literally he speaks God's words to Pharaoh. And notice Exodus chapter seven, verse 16, God demands something of Pharaoh. Exodus chapter seven, verse 16, God says, let my people go so... <laughs> let my people go so everyone say everyone say let my people go so so that they may worship me in the wilderness oh I, I gotta I want you to see this God wants you to go so you can do something Understand, the very first picture we have of any level of a church, it starts in the Old Testament, and it's this thing called the tabernacle. You, you, you see the Hebrew people, they went into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They were wandering for 40-some years, but there was specific direction from God that every time they set up a camp, at the center of their camp, there was to be a tabernacle. It was this fortress-like structure where there inside was the holiest of holies and the Ark of the Covenant, and that was where God's presence dwelt. And the beautiful picture of the tabernacle is that it was a mobile church. Literally everywhere they would go, they would have to load in and they'd have to load out. And the entire Hebrew people, they would surround the tabernacle, meaning all of the tribes would be positioned around the tabernacle. It was a picture of a nation giving a gesture to say, our entire nation will be centered and surrounded by the person of God. But listen to me. The whole reason why God wanted to get the people out of Egypt is so that he could get them into a place that they could worship freely. I want you to write this down today. God always brings you out to bring you in. This is the truth. God doesn't just say go. God says go so. God brings them out of bondage to bring them into his presence. But friends, this isn't just something he did thousands of years ago. This is what he does in your life. This is what he does in my life. I'm telling you, God brought you out of anxiety to bring you into peace. God brought you out of depression to bring you into joy. God brought you out of fear to bring you into faith. God brought you out of sickness to bring you into healing. He brings you out in order to bring you in. This is the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is a call to worship. 
turn from your sin so that you may be brought into his presence where you can hear his voice and you can worship him in a, in a deeper way. God brings you out to bring you in. He was doing this so that we may, we may worship. This is how this completely began. Why are you saying that, Rich? I'm saying because if we're actually going to be a church, church is not a building, it's not a place, it is a people, but the primary function of being the people of God is understanding that if we don't worship, we're not actually who we say that we are. That if you want to be a church, worship is your primary function. Let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. God brings us out in order to bring us in, into a place that we can worship him and hear from him. And today I want to try to answer this question because we are in this collection of talks called Day by Day. <laughs> and we're talking about not just professing faith, but we're talking about practicing faith, putting your faith into practice. Well, how do you put your faith into practice? One of the ways you put your faith into practice is through this practice known as worship. And we've been answering kind of this big, broad question, right? What do you do when you don't know what to do? I don't know if anyone out there feels like this. Come on, Zoom, help me out. Have you had a day this year where you're like, I don't really even know what to do. I don't know what the Christian response is right now. I don't know what it looks like to be like Jesus with the current moment of our political climate, you know? Not, maybe it hasn't been, you know, one day. Maybe it's been a week or, or, or maybe you're like, I don't know what to do on the whole month or come on, I don't know what to do on the whole 2020 year, all right? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What we've been saying is you, you do your habits. Your habits are these behavior patterns that, that come out of you almost involuntary. We don't want bad habits. We don't want toxic habits. We want faith habits. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You, you worship. Because what you do daily determines who you become permanently. And if he set me free to worship I want to make sure that no matter the scenario, no matter how bad it gets, that I know I have a practice I can lean on called worship. Today, specifically, I want to answer this question for you. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? I've been over and over again each, each week is I want to try to give you some, some of the how, some of the practice, like, you know, how do I read my Bible and how do I pray? Those things are very, very good. But how many know before you can get how, you got to know why? I wrote this down this week. If you don't know why you do something, it doesn't matter how good you do it, eventually you will give up. So if you don't know why you're singing, it doesn't matter how much you love the music. It doesn't matter how often you, if you don't know why you're singing, eventually you will stop singing. There's so many reasons I could give you. I mean, so many biblical reasons. I mean, why do we sing? We sing because when we sing, we delight in God. Here's the powerful truth. When I'm worshiping, I'm delighting in God. But as I delight in God, here's the powerful truth. God delights in you. Yes. I, I wish I had more time on this because like people don't understand this. People think there's a, there's, there's a certain sound that God likes. No, God likes your sound. Yes. Pe pe people think that God likes a certain kind of style. No, God likes all styles. He likes all sound. I don't care if Kenny G is what you're into or if you're into Cardi B. It's not the style of the sound. Guess what it is? It's the intention of the heart. In fact, as you start giving artists away, here's what people don't understand is that you might look around and say, oh, that's secular or that's worldly music. And I know exactly what you're referring to. However, listen to me, that gift, that talent was given to them by God. 
that gift and that talent was supposed to be submitted to God. They were supposed to use their unique gift, their unique sound and give him glory. Instead, what many of us do is we think our sound isn't very much or we think our sound is too much. And instead of giving God glory, we give ourselves glory. God loves to hear you sing. I don't care if you're flat. I don't care if you're sharp. I don't care if nobody else doesn't like it. Guess who loves it? God loves your sound and he loves your style. But as I delight in God, God delights in me. But also we know according to scripture that when I worship, I'm drawing near to God. And guess what? When I draw near to God, the scripture says, he draws near to me. It's this new covenant. It's this grace-filled worship that God is everywhere, that God is omnipresent. And because of Jesus, I always have access to him. But when I look back at the tabernacle, there was a place that we know that his presence dwelt. It was called the holiest of holies and only the high priest could go there. But now because of the blood of Jesus, he is our high priest. When I worship, what I'm doing is I'm stepping into a sacred place. I'm stepping into a real place. And when I draw near to God, he says, I get even closer closer to you. Like a good analogy that you should understand is that you serve a motion activated God. It's like, you know, there's these motion activated doors, there's these slider doors, but how many know those doors, they stay closed until you walk up to the sensor. But the moment you walk up to the sensor, when you get close enough, then the doors open up. Oh, can I give you a word today that some of you out there, all you need to do is take another step closer to God and the doors that are closed in your life, they're gonna open up. You're gonna step into a new level, a new, deeper, real, vibrant level because you simply said, I know why I'm singing. I know why I'm giving God praise. I know it's tough all around me, but it's not gonna stop my worship because my God is motion activated. When I get close to him, he, he opens right up and allows me in. Why do we sing? We sing because when we sing, we magnify God. That's why the psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his holy name. What does this mean? It's like, have you ever put something under a magnifying glass? What it does is, is that whatever you're looking at expands. It gets bigger. Worship has the ability for you in your current state. When you begin to lift holy hands, when you begin to sing with your mouth, not just listen, but when you sing, what it's doing is it's expanding expanding the image of God in your mind, in your hearts. And here's what I know. I know that when I magnify God, God ministers to me. So literally as I'm worshiping, God's, God's ministering to me. He's doing a deep work on the inside of me. Why? Because I decided to expand. I decided to make much out of the name of Jesus. Why do we sing? I could give you reason after reason. I could show you scripture, but I just... I just felt like I needed to lean into just one reason today. Can, can I just give you one reason? I think this is, this is a good reason in 2020. Can I just give you one reason why we sing today? Because maybe you're like, why do, maybe, why do we sing? Like, why do they like, why do they always do a concert before Rich preaches? I just, I just want to hear the word, man. No, it's not a concert. Or if it is a concert, it's not for you, it's for him. <laughs> but let me just give you one reason today. And this is, this is a spiritual practice. This is not a Sunday thing. This is like when we get off this stream here in a moment, you should go and practice this. Tomorrow when you get to your job and it's difficult, you should practice this. Let me just give you one reason. I know it's, it's, a, it's a heavy reason, but I think it's an important one in 2020. One reason. Here we go. Ready? Why do we sing? Because worship is an act of war. I don't know how to say it any better than that, but worship 
is an act of war. This week, some of you might have seen, but Don Shree and I, we celebrated 14 years of marriage. Holler at your boy. How long have you been married, Dakota? Uh, you know nothing about marriage, man. <laughs> Five years is incredible. How many years have been married, Nick? Thirteen. Thir- wow, right there, man, right there. So you, you should mentor Dakota a little bit. Fourteen, there's something just so sweet about the 14th, but it was fun. I, I was taking some time this week to reflect back on early days of marriage, and I was remembering, and maybe some of these married guys here, Gene, could maybe testify to this. I remember when I first got married, like year one of marriage, this just might be me now, I, I, I vividly remember like, whoa, like this, the, the weight and the responsibility of like, okay, I am called to protect and serve this woman. To the point, like, this is just me. Maybe I just get all hyped. Like, I'd like walk around like, like I'd be like eyeing people like, you gonna, you gonna try to mess with her? You gonna, you're like, like, almost like hoping someone would try something. Like, I, I'm her husband, okay? I've made vows to her. Like, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what's wrong with my mind, but I'm like, I was like looking for like, I, did you just try my wife? You know, I always, when you get married, you're so excited to say, this is my wife. Like you just want to use this language. And I, I, I vividly remember like this weight of responsibility that I'm called to protect this woman and, and serve this woman. And, and, and no doubt about it. I mean, 14 years into it, it's like, I, I'm still called to do those things and I'm still excited to serve my wife. But I got to be honest with you, um, 14 years into it, I'm not looking for a problem. Okay. Um, <laughs> Any married people, it's like, it's like I'm, I'm trying to get us out of problems. I'm not, I'm not looking to stand up and fight for my wife. And most married people know that, uh, you know, every once in a while you'll be laying in bed and if there's ever a noise or a sound. I mean, just, I know it's 2020, but come on. It, it sort of still feels like it's the husband's responsibility to check on that noise or sound. Is that, is that safe to say? Like, I don't know. Like, if there's like a weird noise going in the house, I'm like, oh, it's like, I got to get up and I got to protect the house. And I remember our first year of marriage, we, we had this apartment and I used to have a baseball bat, you know, underneath my bed. And so if there was ever a noise, Don should be like, get up. I'm like, I got it. And I grabbed the bat. I'm like, let's go, let's go. You know, like I'm ready to, I don't know how I'm like ready to do damage. But I remember not too long ago, we were at our house here in Miami and, um, you know, we heard something, I don't know if it was something at the front door, but like, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where like, I didn't have a baseball bat. And so I was like looking for a weapon. Has this ever happened to you? I'm looking for a weapon. All I could find was a broom. Do you know how non-threatening you look walking around your house with a, with a broom? What's up? You, you come into my house, you know what I'm saying? I walked into my room with my broom and my wife is like, do you have a broom in your hand? She's like, what are you gonna do with the broom? I said, girl, do you wanna check on the noise? Go out there right now, be my guest, you know? I'm not gonna do any damage with a broom. It's not a suitable weapon to protect your house. I hope you know that there is an assignment against your life. I hope you know that you as a follower of Jesus, you have a foe, you have an enemy. And repeatedly, not one time, but consistently, he will come and knock on your door and try to terrorize you. I hope you know in that moment that as a Christian, you don't just have to play defense all your life, but you can actually learn how to play some offense. You can actually grab a better weapon than a broom. You can come back and you don't just have to survive day by day. You can actually thrive day by day because you know how to wage war in the heavenlies. It's called worship. It's called worship. It's called worship. Worship is how you wage war. I think it's very, very important when you start to talk about worship that you understand two fundamental truths. 
Truth number one, Jesus is full of truth. Everyone said it. Say, Jesus, Jesus is full of truth. Full of truth. Truth number two, the devil is full of lies. Everyone say, the devil is full of lies. The devil is full of lies. I think we forget this. That the enemy against your life, the devil, he will come and he will knock on your door and he will lie to you. That's who he is. Nothing that comes out of him is of the truth. Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse 44, speaking about the devil, he's speaking and he says, you belong to the father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. Watch this. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. You want to know what the native tongue of the devil is? It's not English. It's not Spanish. It's not Portuguese. It's not Creole. It's lies. And this is what he does. He comes and he whispers in your ear. And many times he starts with something very, very small. And his entire attempt is simply to get you to believe a lie. For if he can get you to believe a lie, he has already won. And over and over again, he will come and he will tap on your shoulder. And for whoever you are, whatever you're going through, he knows you. He studied you. He knows all about your life. He knows your tendencies and your temptations and your weakness. So he'll lie to me in a different way than how he'll lie to you. Just speaking from my own experience, I know that he lies to me all the time in the form of insecurity. He'll just come and whisper these small little lies. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not capable. You don't know what you're doing. Why do you think you belong there? Why do you think you're worthy of that? He will over and over again come to you and just say something very, very small. He'll whisper it in your ear. And for many of us, we start to believe it. And if you believe it, he's already won. It's like, for instance, if I were to give you a map that was corrupted and I said, hey, come to this destination. How many know? It doesn't matter how well you follow that map. No, I follow the directions. I know, but your map is broken. You will never reach the destination that you're intending to go because you have a corrupted, a broken map. This is what the enemy wants to do. He just wants you to believe a lie. For if he can get you to believe a lie, you will never reach your destination. You'll never be all that you're called to be. But here is the good news in this moment, that whenever the enemy comes and lies to you, you don't have to listen to it. You don't have to believe it. But instead, you can wage war. You can start to worship. You can start to worship. Listen to me. Every time you worship, you remind the devil of what he lost. This is important, man. Every time I lift up my voice and I start to worship, I am reminding the devil of what he lost. See, the devil loves to come and remind me of all the things that I did. He loves to come and remind me of my past. Oh, but friend, when you start worshiping, you remind the devil of what he lost. You do realize that the devil used to be the chief worship leader. He was the angel who was in charge of the music of singing praise to God. And so every time the devil starts to bring up my past, all I do is I start literally worshiping, singing, and praising. And when I start worshiping, I start reminding the devil of his future, that he has already been defeated by the blood of Jesus. He's conquered. He's over. He has no authority in your life. All he can do is lie to you. But it's in that moment you remind the enemy 
of what he lost in your mind, the enemy of where he's headed. He brings up your past, you bring up his future. You wanna give the enemy a message, put it on the bottom of your shoe because that's where he's at. He is under your feet. You have been given the authority by Jesus. The devil is a liar, but, but you gotta know then that Jesus is full of truth. And so many times what we miss out is that when the devil starts to lie to us, it's you and I that we must lift up our voice because as we start to worship, we heighten the voice of Jesus. And Jesus, he comes and he speaks to us and he whispers in our ear. Listen to me, when you worship, I want, you to, I want to make sure this is so, so clear. You're not adding to Jesus' strength. When you worship, you're not adding to Jesus' glory. When you worship, you're not adding power to Jesus. Jesus is God all by himself. We can't add to him. My worship isn't adding to him. In fact, some people, they think they worship God because they think it's like their you know, point in life to, to remind God of who he is. No, no, no. God doesn't need reminding of who he is. God's not up in heaven like on an emotional roller coaster like a lot of you are. He doesn't have an identity crisis every three weeks. He doesn't forget his commitments every four months. He knows who he is. He's not in heaven like, oh my goodness, like, would someone just tell me who I am? I'm just like so confused again. Like, can those people tell me that I'm sufficient and that I am power? He doesn't need that. He's God all by himself. And this God speaks truth and only truth to your life. He whispers in your ear that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days of your life were ordained and written in his book before one of them came to be. This God breathed stars into existence. This God is strong. This God is powerful. And he declares, I have plans for your life. I have good things in store for you. I want to use you. I want to invite you into my story. I've called you for my purpose. Yet if I'm being honest, so many times when Jesus comes and whispers in my ear, I don't believe it. And I used to just think this was just me, but then I read one time in John 8, 45, that Jesus says, yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus is whispering in so many of your lives, but you just don't believe him. You don't actually believe what he has said. This is the moment that you have to wage war. This is the moment that you have to grab a weapon, not a broom, not some utensil that can't do any damage, but rather you go and you grab the greatest weapon you have. It is called worship. And when we raise our voice in song to God, God silences the voice of the enemy. You know, last couple weeks ago, I was speaking to you about the Bible, and the Bible truly is a weapon. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we know that this is our weapon. Yeah, I think it's important that we understand that God gives us this weapon, but worship in so many ways is how we activate this sword. It's how we use this sword. When I was in um, elementary school as a little boy, uh, our church... Uh, used to have this ministry. It was called the Royal Rangers Program. And the Royal Rangers Program was essentially like, you know, Boy Scouts of America, but for the church. And so on Wednesday nights, it would be midweek Bible study. I would go and I would be put in this program and there was different levels to it, but it was always about the outdoors. It was all about, 
you know, getting into nature and learning how to tie knots and, you know, playing with knives and doing all sorts of, you know, cool little boy stuff. And I remember when I was honestly probably in like the fourth grade, uh, there's this thing called a cut and chop card. And a cut and chop card was something that was issued, if you can believe this, from our Wednesday night ministry called Royal Rangers, where after you had shown that you were worthy to handle a knife, that you had actually shown that you knew how to handle a knife, that you had gone through the safety training with a cut and chop card, it was your license to carry a knife. <laughs> if you can believe this, I don't know, this, a lot has changed in our world, but I used to go to Wednesday night church with like a Daniel Boone Bowie knife on my, yeah, with a sheath, like on my like side. Like, why do you need a knife at church? I have no idea why this was allowed, but I'd show up like, and my mom would be like, Rich, you can't carry a knife. I'd be like, oh, mom, yes, I can. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, cut and chop card. Like, she's like, that means nothing. I'm like, no, no, it means something. It's a cut and chop card. I can carry this knife. And I was thinking about that this week that so many of us, it's like we have our cut and chop card. Like some of us, we're carrying the sharpest blade in the world. But the problem for so many of us is that it just stays on our hip. It just stays right there in the sheath. It's never, ever been used. Yes, the word is a weapon. Let me tell you something. If the word is a sword, then worship is how you swing it. If the word is a sword, worship is how you swing the sword. It's actually how you wage war. It's actually how you fight back. We know Jesus gave scripture, but you and I, when we start to worship, we're singing the scriptures. We're waging war in the heavenlies. I was talking to a guy right before quarantine and he came to me and we were at iTech. He's like, man, I love this church so much. He's like, I just gotta be honest with you. You guys sing a whole lot, man. And I feel a little bit awkward because you guys are singing and I'm not very talented and I'm not a very good singer. And I really just come, I come for the word, man. I can't wait. Sometimes I skip out on going to the singing because I just want to get there for the word. And I thought, what a great tragedy. What a great mishap that you obviously don't know why we sing. We're not singing in order to remind ourselves of what we're not. We're reminding ourselves of all that God is. We're swinging the sword. We're waging war in the heavenlies. We're not telling God simply who he is. We're telling ourselves who God is. He doesn't need it. We need it. You need it. I need it. That's why I sing. I sing because I don't even know what's happening in the heavenlies. I don't even understand what's taking place in the supernatural. I don't sing because God's up in heaven having an identity crisis. I'm singing because I'm down here on earth having an identity crisis. I want to remind myself of who my God is. Once you get, honestly, once you get this revelation, you'll never be late to church again. Not even the stream. You'll never be late Again, because what you understand is, okay, I know why I sing. I'm singing because it's an act of war. And I know the enemy is coming to lie to me. I know he's coming to whisper something in my ear that's not true. And I need to hear the voice of heaven. And so when I can't hear the voice of heaven, I stop and I begin to wage war and I swing my sword. And before you know it, I start hearing God speak to me. Worship is an act of war. As the worship team helps me out, I want to close with this story that we opened up with. That's why I love today this, this text that I read you, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is the story of Jehoshaphat. 
And Jehoshaphat is this guy that I love so very, very much because he is um, a king who comes into power at the age of 36. And he rules for 25 years. If I can get some keys, fellas. He rules for 25 years. And he, he literally follows his father, Asa. And when he comes into power, what he does is he restores the temple and he, he removes all the idols. He takes, gets rid of all of idolatry and he really makes much out of the name of God. And Jehoshaphat is a young leader who's passionate. Yet one day, the enemy comes and knocks on Jehoshaphat's door. Not a spiritual enemy, a, a, a literal enemy. Three different armies come and they have a plan to attack Jehoshaphat. They wanna destroy Jehoshaphat. We say it often this way, you can't prevent the attack. All you can do is prepare for the attack. It's day by day. I don't just worship when I'm under attack. I worship before, I worship in, and I worship on the other side. And Jehoshaphat, as you can imagine, probably feels like a lot of you feel in 2020, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the problem that's in front of him. And look at what he, look at what happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. This is earlier in the text. I didn't get to read it to you, but I love what it says. This is uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. This is Jehoshaphat's prayer. He says this, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Watch this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Woo. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Jehoshaphat is there saying, I don't know what to do. There's an enemy outside our door, three different ones. They're coming here to attack us. They're coming here to steal from us. They're coming here to kill us and destroy us. I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. And it's a beautiful picture because literally as Jehoshaphat prays, he gets a prophetic word. And the prophetic word, it says, do not be discouraged. Do not be in fear, but rather, oh, I love this word in our church, stand firm. For the battle is not yours, but it is the Lord's. And it's a beautiful story as we read it because Jehoshaphat, he gets this word in private, but then he comes out in public and he assigns the men. And as they march into battle, instead of raising physical swords, instead of throwing spears. Instead, he commands the men to sing praises to God. They literally begin to sing worship songs. They literally are out and about singing, he so loves me, he'll see me through. They're just worshiping God. They're just singing praises to God. And would you believe it? the scripture says that as they start to sing, all three enemies Rather than fight the Hebrew people, instead they turn on each other and they begin to defeat one another. They start killing each other, slaughtering one another. I love what Carl Lentz says, your praise is a problem for your problem. That literally, I don't even understand the power and the weight of my praise. I know it doesn't look like I have much, but I got a song. I know it doesn't look like I've got a whole lot today, but if I have worship, I'm telling you what, I can wage war in the heavenlies. I can fight a spiritual battle. And there they're singing. And literally, 
as Jehoshaphat and the men look out upon the people, everyone in front of them has been slaughtered. And now the only ones who are standing are Jehoshaphat and a choir singing. Why do we sing? Because we don't understand the power. We don't understand the weight that when I sing to God and I raise my voice to God, I'm lowering the voice of the enemy. I'm fighting back, not with a broom, but with a real weapon, for I'm swinging it. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, I wanna know, I wanna know what it is that you guys, what, what they're singing. Like, what were they, what were they singing? Because that's like really important. Like, I'm, I, I wanna do the same thing. What were they singing? What was the song? Was it Waymaker? Were they singing Do It Again? Had to have been Shelter In. I bet that Shelter In's got some real weight on it. No, it wasn't the style of the song and it wasn't how famous the song was, but rather we know two bars from this song. And I think these two bars should show up in all of our songs to God. Bar one, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. You ever notice that there's a lot of things in life that you go through life and you don't ever thank God for? I was thinking this week, I've been pulled over a couple times by police officers and was given a ticket. Thank God they gave me a ticket. Someone needed to slow me down. I bet you've never gotten done at the doctor's office after they gave you an injection and said, hey, thanks for giving me that shot. <laughs> I know for sure that when my dad used to spank me as a kid, I never got done saying, dad, thank you so much for blessing me in that way. No, no, no. If you would spend a moment right now and just begin to think about all of the things that Jesus has done for you, I promise you, you would never stop singing. Because praise, well, friends, that is the act of thanking God for what he has done. But worship is the act of thanking God for what he has yet to do. That I'm gonna worship you from this valley. Give thanks to the Lord. Bar one, give thanks to the Lord. But bar two, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. You know what I've learned? I've learned that the best worship songs are not about me confessing my love to God, but the best worship songs are when I confess God's love for me. I'm not going to give myself glory. This isn't about me. This song's not about me. This song's about you. These aren't positive affirmations. These are faith declarations. And friends, something happens when you praise God and declare his love endures forever. For Jehoshaphat and that army, they didn't have to raise a sword. They didn't have to raise a shield. They just lifted up their voice and the enemies turned on each other. But look at what happened. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 29. After this battle was finished, the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms. When they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat, here it is, was at peace. Someone say peace. For his God had given him rest on every side. Oh, I want you to see that. The kingdom was at peace for the rest of the time. Why? Because it's a simple principle. Praise precedes peace. If you're in a tough year right now and you're wondering how to get peace, I'm telling you, it's why we sing. It's why you declare his love 
endures forever. I'm not going to stop singing about it. I'm not going to stop worshiping to it. It's His love that endures forever. And friends, may I close with this? May I bring you comfort with this? It is impossible to exaggerate the love of God. Can you find some comfort? Put the camera on my face. It is impossible to exaggerate the love of God. What they were singing thousands of years ago, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Find comfort, find confidence. I can't exaggerate it. What does that word exaggerate mean? It means that I can't make it untrue. I can't talk too much about it. I can't make it too big. I can't make it too large. No, the scripture says that God's love, it's deeper than you thought. It's wider than you thought. It's bigger than you thought. It's better than you thought. And may I submit to you today that when you actually attempt to exaggerate his love, well, friends, when you attempt to do that, I promise you, that's your greatest and most authentic worship song to date. You want to know what we're doing in worship? We are trying our best to exaggerate the love of God. Oh, I don't know where you're at today, and I don't know what you're facing today, but I want to remind you that you can swing a weapon, and it is called worship. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures. It lasts. It doesn't run dry. It can't be exhausted. It never runs out. It's always available. His love endures forever. Come on, church. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.